And now we're, we're going to get into our Easter Sunday message. And so when it comes to the, to the Christian foundation, did you know that the Christian foundation is, um, the faith of the Christian foundation is not based upon Christians? The foundation of the Christian faith is not based upon the behavior of Christians. And be glad that it's not based on the behavior of Christians. The foundation of the Christian faith is not even on answered prayer. The foundation of the Christian faith is not even, not even having all your uh, questions answered. The foundation of our Christian faith is what we celebrate during Easter. So Easter addresses something that there is no other reasonable explanation for. And what I mean by that, there is no reasonable explanation for the church. I mean, there are millions upon millions and millions of people all over the world this weekend who are celebrating a Jewish carpenter who went public for about three years. And yet over one third of the world's population on this weekend are going to celebrate his name. I mean, there is no reasonable explanation to why that is happening except for what we celebrate during Easter. So what's not a mystery is how religions and movements begin. There's, there's kind of a pattern to it. There's kind of a science to how these movements and different religions begin. And generally what happens is there's an unrest amongst the people. There is factions and there are divisions. Then all of a sudden a very charismatic leader appears. Usually it's a man. So this charismatic leader, they appear on the scene and they begin to say things. They begin to craft sentences and they begin to make statements in such a way that the people go, Yes, that's what I've been, been trying to say. That's what I've been thinking. That's what I believe. So this person, this person becomes like a hero, right? And all of a sudden, there's somebody they look up to. They're a legend. Then eventually, this person dies. And so people gather around and they say, you know what, we've got to keep this dream alive. And so they take these ideas of this person and they begin to carry it forward to one generation, to another generation, and to another generation. So that's how generally how religions and movements begin. It has a kind of a uh, science to it. There's a pattern to it. But when you take this pattern, and when you take the same pattern that you see all over, all over the world, and you begin to impose it upon the story of Christianity... It just doesn't work. And the reason why it doesn't fit, and the reason why it doesn't work in view of Christianity in the same way you do with other religions and movements is because of Jesus' message. Now, Jesus' message was the problem. See, Jesus never advocated any kind of liberation or revolution at, uh, at all. Never, never, he never once did he advocate any of that. I mean, his message wasn't like, I'm going to liberate one lot of people from another bunch of people. He didn't come to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to liberate Israel from Rome. There was none of that. Neither was his, was his message kind of like some kind of revolutionary ideas where it's going to overturn the status quo. Like I'm going to overturn the Judaism and the way the, what, what, the, what the law says. No, none of that at all. He didn't bring anything. Uh, didn't say he was bringing in a, 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 new, a new status quo or anything like that. Now, every once in a while, someone will try to, try to put him up against Rome. And his message was simple. You know, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And so and then the people, other people try to say, well, you know, Jesus, you talk of a kingdom. Are you trying to start a new kingdom? They try to trap him and try to trick him. And, and he kind of disappoints them. And he says, by the way, did I mention that my kingdom is not even of this earth? I see there was no talk of insurrection. There was no talk of liberation. He wasn't a revolutionary trying to introduce something new. Now, the other problem with Jesus' message 
is that Jesus' message was all about Jesus. So that set him apart from everybody else. See, this was the primary problem. Never once did Jesus say, hey, you know, never once did he say to his followers, you know what? Trust in my ideas. Put your trust in my principles. Put your trust into these revolutionary notions. Instead, he instructed his followers to simply do this. Put your trust in me. <laughs> the problem with Jesus' message was that Jesus' message was not about ideas. Jesus' message was about Jesus. He placed himself at the center of what he came to talk about. So when Jesus died, their hope died with him. So when Jesus died, there wasn't any of his followers standing at the cross saying, you know, now that our leader is dead, we've got to take his teaching and keep his teaching alive. There was no one there. There was no, no leaders at all. Because Jesus was so much at the center of his teaching, there was nothing to pass on to another generation. None of his teachings made sense with his death. Seriously. So when Jesus died, the movement died with them. Because he was the movement. He was the message. He was the center. It wasn't about principles. It wasn't about parables and ideas. It was about Jesus. So even before Jesus was crucified, his closest followers, his disciples abandoned him. The very people that brought us the story of Jesus, they, they present themselves as cowards. I don't know about you. If you're going to write yourself into a story, you wouldn't present yourself as a coward. You'll present yourself as the hero. Well, anyway, I know I'll present myself as the hero. So when Jesus was arrested, his disciples lost faith. When Jesus died, the movement died with him. There were no Christians at the cross. There were no Jesus followers after the crucifixion because messiahs don't die. And Jesus claimed to be the messiah. Sons of God can't be killed. And Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Jesus said on, on many occasions, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. But how can the resurrection and the life be crucified? So how in the world did this crazy movement called the church survive the first century? How is it that today, one third of the world popu world's population still calls his name and still claim that he is Lord? Well, Easter solves history's great mystery, his resurrection. And did you know, this is really interesting. Did you know that it was women, they were the women were the first people to discover the empty tomb. And what you need to know about women during the, um, the first century is that women couldn't appear and, and uh, couldn't appear and testify in a court of law because a woman's testimony wasn't considered reliable. Okay, they were, it was considered unreliable. This is not my words. This is what they believed in the first century. And let's be honest, for many centuries after that. So if there was any any way possible that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if, if, if there was any way possible for them to somehow tell the story of the resurrection and get the woman out of the story, they would have done that. But because the fact that women were the first ones to find the empty tomb, that discredited their credibility. Now, do you know why the gospel writers tell us that women were the first ones to discover an empty tomb? Do you know why? Well, here's the reason. Because women were the first ones to discover an empty tomb. 
That's right. That's the only reason why the writers would have would have included them in the story because that's exactly what happened. So let's take a look at the at, at, our, at the gospel message. So let's turn with me to John chapter twenty. You know we've got the verses there for you on the screen, or you can use your Bible app that you've got connected to this connection. So let's let's have a look at this. John chapter twenty, verse one. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Now, do you know why that's important? The reason why that's important is because Mary Magdalene didn't come running to the disciples and say, He is risen! Jesus is alive! She didn't do that, okay? Because nobody was standing outside, outside of the tomb going, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. There was no countdown. There, there were no campfires. There were no band. There was, you know, Peter wasn't on the bass and John wasn't on the electric guitar ready to, 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 um, to play Jesus in for the resurrection. There were no celebration. There were nobody at the tomb. The people who brought us the story of the resurrection honestly admit we thought when Jesus died that he will stay dead. So when the woman found the empty tomb, they did not assume the resurrection. They did not assume that Jesus had, had risen again from the dead. They assumed someone had stolen the body. They went running back to the disciples and I, I, I just I love this. How Luke phrases this in Luke chapter 24, verse 11. We're just going to jump into Luke 24, verse 11. This is what Luke says. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Okay. Hey, that's not me. Okay. This is what their view was that, you know, that woman. What? Obviously, you know, obviously there's something wrong here. See, the men did not believe the woman. They didn't say, well, praise God, it's the resurrection. They didn't say that at all. Instead, they listened to the woman and they said, you're crazy. You must have went to the wrong tomb. This is nonsense. No wonder we don't allow women in court. Okay. So anyway, let's get back into John chapter 20. So we go to verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And so this is John. He's talking about himself. See, he wrote himself as the faster runner to Peter in this story. Okay, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. So do you know when John, who had spent three years following Jesus around, finally believed? It wasn't the teaching. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't even the crucifixion. But it was an empty tomb. So if you're, you're out there and, and, and maybe you, you haven't believed. Look, John was with Jesus for three years. But it wasn't until he saw an empty tomb. Then he believed. And that's why... Easter is the best time for you to consider Jesus because Easter proves the crucifixion and what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, Jesus' followers re-engage with the message of, of Jesus, not because of the message of Jesus, not because of the crucifixion. Jesus' followers didn't re-engage because of something Jesus taught. 
that Jesus, but Jesus' followers re-engaged because of something they saw. Jesus, the living Jesus. See, after Jesus rose from the, from the dead, suddenly these cowards, these men who didn't expect a resurrection, these men who ran and hid, these men that went into the streets of Jerusalem and they began to preach boldly. See, see, they didn't preach about the principles of Jesus. They didn't preach about the parables of Jesus. They didn't even preach about the love of Jesus. They didn't preach anything that Jesus had taught. The book, the book of Acts tells us what they began to preach to the people after the resurrection. They had a message for the people. The very same people who had said weeks earlier, crucify him. When Pilate said, what should I do with Jesus? The same people said, crucify him. So when, when Peter addresses the people, it wasn't like hundreds of years later, but it was weeks after Jesus had been crucified. And this is what people, Peter said to the, uh, to the people. This is the same Peter who fled. This is the same Peter who denied knowing Jesus. This is the same people who was a Peter who was afraid to be associated with Jesus after the crucifixion. So this is what Peter said in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. He said, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. And I love the people's response. The people who had weeks earlier said to Pilate, crucify him. This is what the people said. They said, they said, you know, what should we do? You know, we believe your message. You're right. We killed him. We believe that you saw him because there's too many people running around the city claiming to have seen Jesus. So here's the application. Here's what you should do. Here's what we should do. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Peter replied, Repent. Repent means turn away from your sin. Let me ask you something. Are you ready to walk away from your life of sin? Peter said, repent, turn away from your sin and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. See, the reason why this is the best, the best weekend to finally decide and say, you know, you know what? Instead of hoping and telling God how good I was, how hard I tried, how much I've promised, instead of depending on me, trusting on me, have you ever considered that maybe, maybe you need to place your faith on what Christ did for you on the cross? To place your faith on what Christ did on your behalf. This is the best weekend to do it. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ solves history's greatest mystery. How did the church survive? How did this movement move through the first and second and the third and the fourth century? Why is it that today that a third of the world's population call him Lord? What re-engaged his followers with his teachings? wasn't his teachings it was his resurrection the resurrection of jesus pushes the point of his crucifixion crucifixion which is his forgiveness now here's what it means for us if you are a christian your hope is not in vain it means when jesus says there is a resurrection and a life there's a resurrection and a life it means that the people that you lost in love, 
that you will be reunited with them one day. This is why no matter how bad your church experience may have been, no matter how crooked that last Christian you encounter was, I would say to you that on this Easter weekend, you should give Jesus another glance. Not because of what he taught, but first and foremost, because he died for your sins, then he rose again, and he's alive today. See, the book of Acts tells us that he was seen by over 500 people. The people that re-engaged with this message after the resurrection, most of them died. Not for what they believed, because lots of people do that. They died for what they believed they saw. A resurrected Savior. You know, there's three reasons why you need Jesus. Reason number one is for the forgiveness of your past. Because you have a past. You can't go back, but He can. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can walk into those places of sin and failure and wipe the slate clean and give you a new beginning. And number two, He gives you new life for today. Jesus knows the worst about you, and yet He believes the best. Why? Because He sees you not as you are, but as you will be through Him. And the three, a third reason is this. He gives you hope for the future. Because He holds the future in His hands. Who else are you going to trust? In His hands you are safe and secure today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. So if you are ready to make a decision to follow Jesus today, if you're ready to leave your life of sin, I want you to do something practical. I want you to take ownership for your faith because it's not your parents' faith, it's not your grandparents' faith, it's not your minister's faith, but it's your faith. Make this decision. It'll be the greatest decision you'll ever make. If you're making this, this decision, won't you pray this prayer with me? Come on, let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did for me on the cross. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins, for coming into my past and wiping the slate clean, that today I have new life and a hope for the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. You know, God loves you. You are not alone. He's for you and He's with you.